Welcome to Lavish Hope Season 3. I'm your host, Liz Testa. This episode is airing for the first time during the final days of Lent, moving into Holy Week and Easter. And wow, does my guest, Reverend Leslie Carpenter Bolt, share a powerful story of what it means to journey with Jesus in the most challenging times of life and how we can experience deep healing in the process. Leslie shares candidly about her experiences with an abusive marriage, perinatal depression, and an unexpected pregnancy, alongside the joy of finding true love again and a new calling as the mom of a son with special needs. Leslie's pastor's heart shines brightly as she offers insights and tips for how others can navigate similar situations, holding fast to the truth of our faith that God will meet us in our most shadowed times and bring redemption and new life. Let's jump in. Hey, everybody, this is Liz Testa on the Lavish Hope Podcast, and I'm so excited to have with me today my dear friend and colleague in ministry, Reverend Leslie Carpenter Bolt. She is a morning show host, announcer at Joy 99 and Joy Worship Radio in Holland, Michigan. And here we are together to have conversations on hope, resilience, and overcoming. And let me tell you, friends, she's got lots of them. So let's dive right in. Hey, Leslie, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Liz, thank you so much. I am delighted to be here. It is so good to see you and connect with you. Yes, so grateful that you had time to come on by. So let's uh, let's jump into the conversation. Maybe you just want to give our listeners a little glimpse, a little, just tell them a little bit about yourself as we get started. Sure. So I am a um, 41-year-old woman. I live in West Michigan. I am married to the love of my life. His name is Burton. We have a blended family of three boys. Uh, Two bonus sons are my stepsons are Corbin and Caden. They are 15 and 12. And then together we have um, a beautiful boy named Cohen. I work at a Christian radio station in West Michigan. I have a morning show on a worship program. So I say I have the best job in the world. I get to spend five hours talking about Jesus and no one bothers me with anything. (laughs) And, uh, And that is kind of what's going on in my world. I love it. I love it. Thanks for just introducing yourself a little so Leslie, something we always start this these episodes with is asking our guests, what does resilience mean to you? When I saw that question, Liz, the first thing that popped into my head on a carnal level was that song from 1997 by Chumba Wumba. I get knocked down, but I get up again. You're <laughs> never going to get me down. And I thought, okay, well, Leslie, Pastor Leslie, you probably should maybe be a little more spiritual. <laughs> but that's it's still good. That's keeping exciting. it real, Leslie. I love that's it. Keeping it real that that we get knocked down, right? Suffering is part of the human experience, but how we get back up again and how we respond is how we build resilience. And the verse that came to my mind, I, I believe it's Galatians one, where it says, um, the end of it is, is what can man do to me? If God is for me, who can mm-hmm. be against me? What can man do to me? So I thought about, you know, everything that the enemy or, or the world or our, even the choices that we choose 
everything that's thrown at us, how could we possibly stay down when we have a God as our advocate? Yeah, that's so beautiful. And so I'm wondering, how has this concept of resilience been shaped by your past and maybe been changed, deepened by your experiences? Yeah, so we um, we all have a story, right? We all live in a broken world and in broken bodies. And probably one of the most um, intense seasons of my life was formed by a myriad of painful experiences around a journey with chronic pain, the ending of my previous marriage, and coming to the realization that I actually had been in in an abusive marriage, and I did not know that. Mm-hmm. So those those kind of three things interwoven together um, had caused me to resign from my current job in ministry, um, to really question my identity as a pastor, a woman, a wife, and calling, and then come to the place of, you know, who am I when all of that is stripped away and, and what is what is left of me? Mm-hmm. And it's a child of God, a a beloved of the most high of when it came down to it at the end of the day of uh, losing my husband and not being able to work because of being in pain. I had no less value in God's eyes than I did before being married and having a significant position of influence and power, if you will. And the intimacy that was created out of those painful experiences, I had followed the Lord for probably, gosh, 35 years by then. I mean, since I was just a teeny tiny child, but had never experienced that depth of intimacy with Jesus. You know, I think that's so moving and it really is part of our our walk as Christians. It's the, it's the, the journey of discipleship, right? Of just ever ever exploring and understanding our identities in Christ. And what does that really mean? We can't over-spiritualize it. So Lizzie, can you just share with us, like us, I mean, it's, it's an, it's, it's a whole big story that has those three pieces in it, but just go ahead and share for our listeners. It's such, there's, it's such a profoundly moving journey that you've been on. Would you just share um, whatever you feel compelled to of those three, those three aspects of that, of that story of resilience and overcoming? Absolutely. Well, we um, had previously chatted that your listeners have uh, been been moved by other stories of overcoming through divorce. So I think, you know, one that that was foreign to me was learning that I was in an abusive marriage. And quite honestly and transparently, Liz, you, Reverend Liz Testa, were the very first person to ever tell me that. Praise God. And I didn't know because I thought, well he's not hitting me. And, um, that's what that is. And everyone always said marriage is hard. And so I thought, well, this is hard. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is hard. But when I, I started to do some reading in light of your gentle invitation, I realized that abuse is any sort of the exertion of power over another human being, whether it is physical, emotional, mental, financial, spiritual, sexual. And there was a distinctive, unequal balance of power in my previous marriage. Mm -hmm. 
So things like, I didn't know that it was abusive to be yelled at during times of intimacy or to have things thrown across the room following moments of intimacy. Um, I didn't know that it wasn't normal to be told that if you gain weight, I won't be attracted to you and there won't be intimacy. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember after being out of that for a while, a girlfriend said uh, we were out shopping and she said, do you want to stop and get a Starbucks? And I said, I said, yeah, okay. I'm so glad I don't have to tell my former spouse. And she said, what do you mean? And I said, well, if I had done that before, one, before I got home, I would need to pull over at a gas station and throw away the cup so that he didn't see what I had spent money on. And two, that he didn't know that I had spent my calories on that because he was looking out for me in that area Mm -hmm. of, um, my diet and what I ate. And I didn't realize that all of that was control and manipulation in my life. And it was so, it started off so subtle and then it just continued to grow into this. I'm afraid of my husband. Mm -hmm. I'm afraid of him yelling at me. I'm afraid at him making a scene in public. I'm afraid at him throwing things, cutting me off financially. Um, yeah, cutting off even affection, you know, any sort of affection. Um, and so those things just started adding up to, wow, can I, can I really name this as abuse? People have it so much more difficult than I did. And so I almost had, um, survivors, what do they call it? Survivors guilt or shame? Like, mm-hmm. well, it's not really that bad. So do I need to call it that? It felt like I don't want to cry wolf, Yeah, but it was in naming it that I could finally find freedom Mm -hmm. and moving from, okay, yes, I was a victim of abuse, but walking through healing to find my own voice and look at myself of saying, I'm no longer a victim because he no longer has power over me. Yeah. God bless you, sister. That, I mean, what a journey that was. And I'm, I'm so grateful that God used me to be able to, speak that to you for the first time. And I remember sitting with you and just thinking, gosh, this is like psycho-emotional abuse here. That's, and this, this, you name that thing about control and that's very sneaky, that controlling piece. So just to name for listeners out there today who may be, um, this might be resonating with them. There is help. There is help for you. So maybe, Leslie, you could share with us some of the steps that you took of how you you kind of created a team around you to help you to move through that and out of that situation. Absolutely. I think once I was able to say it out loud, then it gave the freedom um, to my loved ones to say, you know, Leslie, we have always thought this is odd, but you were so protective of him and you never let on. But here's what we see. And so one, that validation piece of, you know, part of the abuse is gaslighting, thinking that you are crazy. Yes. And having them say, no, you're not crazy. This is off. And then um, walking with a, a wonderful counselor and surrounding myself with people who could hold me accountable to 
what is acceptable and appropriate self-love and self-care. Mm. So uh, important, especially for women, right? We just so, default out of it so quickly. So that's really important. And and by God's grace, Liz, I don't know that I ever fell into uh, a low self-esteem about it. Thankfully, um, I kind of... I just shrug, shrug and shrugged, shuck it, uh, shook it off, <laughs> shook mm-hmm. it off. Like, well, mm-hmm. that's what he thinks, but I know that's not what God thinks. Where I know a lot of women that does, you go to a place where you start to oblique, believe the things that the abuser says about you, mm-hmm. and um, you know, it took time. I think I, I needed to walk through each area even, you know, spiritual abuse around, um, perhaps, um, you know, prophetic words either that were around it or, you know, issues of male headship, um, things around call. Um, you know, I was told I was putting my call before my, my marriage and just kind of teasing out like, Lord, what, what is it that you're saying about me? I'm going to put those words that he set aside and I really need to hear from your lips and from your word, what is truth from you? Mm -hmm. You know, this is an important piece that you're bringing out this, um, this, the dynamic uh, between men and women, right? And we know that as human beings, we're constantly in these relationships between men and women. We are trying to reconcile ourselves back to God's original intention for humankind to be co-laborers, evenly yoked, just living life and stewarding God's creation together equally and um, and equitably. And there's a lot there um, in terms of ways that there's, you know, there's this concept now of toxic masculinity. There's these ways that men are told that they have to be kind of over and above women. And it really creates, again, that power dynamic you were talking about. And given that your, your, um, your denomination of origin, um, I believe has the assemblies of God, right. Is your, is your home denomination? Yes. But that is an egalitarian denomination. Uh, it's a that's a different conversation um, okay. in, in theory yes but um women are not allowed in the highest level of ordination okay so then you moved you moved from that into other denominations where you could that were egalitarian like our reformed church in america which is the the host of this podcast and where we're both ordained does believe and does name that uh, egalitarian, that there's a belief that women and men can serve in highest, in all layers of leadership, freely and fully. Um, So I'm just, I just want to name that that's an important thing for us to understand, like theologically, spiritually, we have to have that understanding and that, and then also to acknowledge that in many places, both men and women do not have that understanding. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so that's an important thing to bear in mind. Um, and I think that's probably what you had a spiritual shoring up because of your faith. So Jesus was right there with you. The Holy Spirit was right there with you. God, your creator, right? You're the beloved. And then you also had this piece that you also understood through the lens of, of, um, of the, of the theology of, you know, the ways that you had studied scripture and studied leadership in the church that you understood that 
you were, that that what you were doing was absolutely of God and blessed by God and was 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 your calling. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that's just that's that I I'm grateful that we've named that because I think that's we live in a we live in a now and not yet time, right? And so just to to name that and have make sure that that's um that's part of the conversation when people are trying to think about what steps could they take to release themselves from places where their power there's power and control over them and have healthy boundaries around that. So then what happened next? You 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 had all this kind of revelation and you started to take your next steps and then then where did that take you? Yeah, I um transitioned from serving the denomination and um, made my way back to a local church and served as a pastor for multiple years. Uh, In the process, uh, my former husband actually walked away from our marriage. Now, looking back, I believe that it was a complete gift of grace because at the time I, I didn't realize the abuse and I don't believe that I would have ever left him with my uh, fundamental background um, and my high value of covenant, I don't know that I would have left him. And so I believe that God used my husband's sin to set me free. And so I was single again at let's see 36. I was coming at the world now from a place of newfound healing and wanted to share my life with someone, but also didn't know what a healthy egalitarian godly marriage could look like. Right. You know, I had been married for 10 years and my former husband and I got married in seminary and, you know, just thought, okay, this is the way it is, but knew that God could do better. You know, knew, (laughs) knew that God always does better. And, um, Surrounded by beloved community and a wonderful therapist, um, you know, kind of put myself back out there eventually. And um, the Lord brought my now husband into my life, who is uh, also an ordained minister in the Reformed Church in America. Our stories are very parallel to each other. He was a pastor, was also married for 10 years, and um, his wife. Um, was unfaithful as well. That had later come out in my marriage that my husband, my former husband was unfaithful. And um, here we were almost, you know, we were living in the same town and uh, he heard of me and sent me an email saying, um, I want to introduce myself. My name is Bert and I'm a licensed funeral director. And let me tell you, when a gentleman with the name Bert, who is a mortician, emails you, maybe the first thing you do is not respond very, <laughs> very much excitement. Like I thought, I thought maybe he was 70 years old. Um, but it actually was my therapist who uh, encouraged me. She said, you know, Leslie, this is the first time that a man who obviously loves Jesus, who understands call and the dynamics of the church who knows you are a pastor. So must be very okay with women in the pastorate, which that again was an issue in my previous marriage has walked through a divorce and is on the other side 
asked you out. Like, why would you not just go and sit down and have coffee with this man? And I was like, cause his name is Bert and he's a funeral director. <laughs> and she said, your homework is to go and have an appropriate coffee conversation with this man and allow yourself to be a woman being pursued. So I did. And, um, you know, honestly, Liz, something that I do think is profound and poignant is that we are wounded in relationship, but we're often healed in relationship as well. Mm. And, and I don't necessarily mean, you know, male, um, male, male, female, or male, male, female, female, any sort of partner relationship, but even friendships, right. We're, we're wounded as the result of hurting each other, but God often does allow, uh, his his beloved community to help bring human or to bring healing. And so while I had done a lot of hard work uh, on self-love and uh, recovering from divorce, chronic pain and abuse, it wasn't until I walked in relationship with my now forever husband, Bert, that some of that, where the rubber meets the road healing took place. That's so good. So can you share a little bit about what that, like, what did that look like for you to be like, where, like, what was it like? What, what was that rubber that met the road? Yeah, very practically things like unpacking our kitchen and dropping a dish and making a loud noise. The dish didn't even break, but being being afraid and panicked that my husband would yell and get upset. And then it was it would be taken out on me later and turning and looking and having Bert lift his head up and say, are you okay, babe? Can I help you with anything? Mm-hmm. And learning that that is the actual appropriate response to mm-hmm. something like that. Um, you know, not having to turn in my receipts or having my, you know, every single thing that I spent be scrutinized and having him say, Leslie, you're a grown woman with you're intelligent. I, I trust that you can handle, you know, our financial situation. You've got this, right? And the first time that I could walk in the house with a Starbucks and not stop at a gas station and throw it away, believe me, that was, <laughs> that was a celebration. Wow. That's amazing. So let's pivot a little and just contemplate what, where do you find resilience? Mm when you don't have it. Mm, So good. I have never spent more time with Jesus than I did in those dark hours. In fact, we had, uh, we had general synod in the midst of that time. And then every single break, I would run back to my dorm room. And even if it meant five minutes in the word or five minutes of a worship song, I spent it with Jesus. And I don't mean to make that sound some sort of trite, easy Sunday school answer. I had nothing else. Mm-hmm. I mean, my, my home was gone. My husband, I knew my job was ending. My finances, my health insurance, nothing. I remember throwing my hands up to the Lord saying, well, Lord, I don't know how it could get any worse. I don't. So you are quite literally everything to me. And that daily bread piece really became daily bread. Mm-hmm. I moved in with my folks and we have a room 
in their, in their home. My mom redecorated it with antique pictures of the apostles and Jesus. And it's got, it's just this beautiful room and we call it the Jesus room. (laughs) And so I would bring my scripture, my Spotify, my Pandora in there. And I would spend hours and hours and hours in the Jesus room. You know, there were times where I would get real with Jesus and say, you have to take me because I don't, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Dying and going to be with you would be much easier <laughs> than that. And the Lord would whisper, I'm not done with you yet. Your story mm-hmm. is, is not over yet. There is hope. If I've done it before, I will do it again and I will do it in you. That is so powerful, Leslie. And you know, I'm thinking when this episode is going to first release, it will be just as we're starting to move into Holy Week leading up to Resurrection Sunday, but we will be going through that final week of Jesus. So when you're talking about this, this suffering, your own human suffering, right? And how you went and leaned into your faith and leaned into your relationship with the one who loves us all beyond our wildest imagining and who who does understand, right? And who will care for and who does provide. That piece right there, I just think that's that's especially um, inspiring for us right now. So is there anything that you can just share about that, the journey in Lent and how that kind of intersects? Like, how does that does that resonate for you as I'm sort of yeah, speaking it? I, mean, I, I think about the phrase that they talk about. They say, what is it? They say, they say Friday is dark, but Sunday keeps Sundays coming. Mm-hmm. Right? Sunday's mm-hmm. coming. Mm-hmm. And the verse that my now forever husband and I used at our wedding and it's our verse for our marriage is Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who was able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we ask or imagine. And yes, Liz, in in every area of my life, God has brought restoration. My body has been healed. I, I have found a vocation that I love. I have a wonderful husband. But the exceedingly abundantly more, Liz, is Jesus. It's himself, right? So while I do believe redemption is possible this side of heaven, the already and the not yet, my life still has hard things. <laughs> Everybody's life still has hard things. But he is the exceedingly abundantly more. And mm-hmm. he is the one that has satisfied those, those dark, deep places of longing and provided me the hope that I needed. Even now, in the midst of me living my redeemed story, he is the hope. Yeah, so good, so good. So talking about your life right now, um, can you share a little bit about what that is? All the, there's there's more. There's more in yeah. your marriage. And um, yeah, tell tell our listeners a little bit about your life now. Sure. So uh, my husband and I had a whirl, whirlwind romance. We were engaged six months after we met and married 10 weeks later. At uh, at our late 30s, we thought, you know what, we're not messing around. We're going to do this. And, um, you know, had the support of our pastors and community and um, had a beautiful wedding and marriage. And I became an insta-mom to these two um, two little boys. And so those first few years of marriage were really idyllic. I mean, quite picture perfect of, you mean this is how it's supposed to be? Hmm. This is how easy it can be? And we had um, a, a very uh, a jarring surprise of an unexpected pregnancy. 
And um, I, I responded quite abruptly and negatively to that. Um, did not want to be pregnant. Um, did not want to have more children. Loved my career and thought, word, this was not in our plan. <laughs> not at all. Now this, this baby will be loved and, you know, we, we love each other, but this was not what I expected. So over the course of my pregnancy, I had severe, um, illness. What is it called? Hypergravariamesis uh, that when you're really, really sick in pregnancy. Wow. And then I also had, um, perinatal depression, which is just like postpartum, except it's during pregnancy. And I learned that one in four women have some sort of peri or postnatal mood disorder, but during pregnancy, it's not usually talked about because the excitement of the baby usually kind of overwhelms the the woman, and um, it just isn't isn't talked about. And so when people would say to me, "Aren't you so excited?" I would put a smile on and say, "Oh, oh okay," <laughs> but I was miserable. And I, I, I told my husband at about 20 weeks, I said, I feel like I'm living in somebody else's mind and body. It's just not me. And these hormones are out of control. I, I can't eat. I can hardly move. And everyone just kept saying, just wait till you hold the baby. Just wait till you hold the baby. Everything will go away. And I said, you don't know that. <laughs> you don't know that. I feel like I'm losing my mind. Wow. So I did um, self-admit myself to um, a psychiatric hospital here and spent a week um, inpatient doing um, recovery for that. And it was scary. I mean, when I, when I got to the point of Googling how to naturally end a pregnancy, I said to my husband, I need help. This is not me. I need help. Yeah. And at the time, Liz, yes, those, I thought, God, our story has been perfect. <laughs> I have this beautiful life. I have a wonderful job. Why, why is this happening? And, and I was trying to dig again for that resilience, but it just wasn't coming. It was just this dark cloud. Um, I ended up actually needing to resign from my job because I just couldn't function at the level I needed to. So I made it through the pregnancy um, and thought, well, as soon as this being gets out of my body, hopefully what everyone says is true will happen. Um, my son came five weeks early. So we were surprised the nursery wasn't ready we had a quick trip to the hospital and he was here in less than five hours. So very, very quick. And after my son was born, um, he wasn't breathing and Bert walked around the bed to the table where our son was and his face just went completely white. And I said, what's wrong? And he said, the doctor just asked me if anyone has talked to us about down syndrome. And I said, no, our son doesn't have Down syndrome. I specifically asked our OB perinatal if there were any DNA markers for genetic abnormalities. And he said, Leslie, you have zero. And in fact, I wouldn't even pay for the advanced testing because nothing is wrong. 
Yeah. Oh boy. So here I am still struggling with depression. Uh, you know, if I, if I can be transparent, I didn't want a baby to begin with. <laughs> I didn't want another boy. And quite honestly, I did not want a baby with special needs. Mm-hmm. So they said, here's your son. They put him on top of me. And I was waiting for this rush of emotion that everybody said would come instantly. And Liz, it did not come. Mm-hmm. All I could do was sit there in silence and I couldn't even look at my son. And they said, mom and dad, you have 15 minutes and then we'll take him to the NICU. And the first thing I thought was just take him now, just take him. I can't, I can't even look at him. But I thought, no, they'll, they'll judge me (laughs) for that. So I sat in silence, tears coming down my face. After 15 minutes, they took him away. And as soon as the door shut, we were left alone. My husband fell to his knees by the side of the bed and said, do you see it? Do you see it? The Down syndrome? And I said, yeah, I see it. I see it. And he said, why would God do this? Our story has been so perfect. Why? And in that moment, Liz, all of those questions of, am I ever going to be able to work again? Am I ever going to be able to sit in church again? Is this child going to graduate high school or drive or go to prom or live in our home forever? All of these things are flooding me. The rest of the day was a blur. We really didn't uh, invite people to come because it was just so overwhelming. And uh, they needed to do the official genetic testing. But the doctor said to us, you know, I, I'm about 90% sure that Cohen has Down syndrome. And so Bert and I decided together that we would accept that instead of holding on to the hope, uh, living in denial for the next few days. I mean, things going through my mind, Liz, are maybe he won't make it because he wasn't breathing. Maybe we can give him up for adoption. I mean, just all of the things because I was so lost. Um, We cried off and on through most of the day. And uh, at about 11 p.m., my husband said, I think I I should go home and get some rest. And I said, yeah, I think think that would be good. And he left and he said he ugly cried the whole way home, ugly (laughs) cried himself to sleep. And he prayed and said, Lord, you've got to do something because I can't be mom and dad. Is my wife going to be readmitted? You know, what, what are you doing? And before I went to bed, Liz, they gave me some pain medication. And I said to the Lord, Lord, I've been praying for eight months that you would allow me to feel something. I know love is not about feelings. I know that. I know I can choose to love him. But out of your goodness and grace, will you give me something? Because I feel nothing for him. Nothing. And everybody said that I would feel it. And I don't. I need you to give me love for this little boy. And I went to sleep and I slept for about six hours. And I woke up in the morning, Liz, and it was gone. The fear was gone. The anxiety was gone. The depression was gone. It was completely 100% gone. And I know 
God does not always perform miracles like that. I am a hundred percent supportive of medication and therapy, but out of his goodness, mm-hmm. he completely healed me. And I texted my husband and said, how soon can you get here? Because I can't wait to see our little boy. Mm-hmm. And Bert said he knew in that, in that moment that I was going to be okay. And Liz, that little boy is the most beautiful, precious, wonderful surprise gift I have ever given, been given. I would choose him every day, twice on Sunday, and I would not change a thing about him. And I say to the Lord, Lord, why are you so good to me that even when I told you I didn't want it, I blatantly told you, I don't want this. You love me so much that you gave me the best gift I could have ever been given. That's incredible. What a journey, Leslie. And thank you for sharing so openly and honestly, because I think many times these stories are, you know, they're just kind of kept private um, and, and people should do that if that's what's right for them. And so that's also part of this, the beauty of, of this journey is that you are, you're hardwired to share it. Yes, ma'am. It's it's who you are. (laughs) Yes, ma'am. And so I just think about how, you know, what a blessing that is. I know there's folks listening to this right now who have a similar story and just hearing how, you know, our faith will make us well, right? Your faith made you well. And that's just so inspiring. Tell us a little bit as we're kind of coming to the end of our time together about like the journey, like once you had, I mean, you, you did experience that healing, you were ready to move forward. And so just tell us a little bit about what that was, because that was a surprise for you to, to, to suddenly have this child. And, and I know that that's part now of what you do is that you're a champion for people with disabilities. So tell us a little bit about like, how has that then that's sort of like cultivating hope, right? We ask about cultivating hope. So how, how have you just embraced that? Absolutely. That's part of your calling now. Yeah. I want to affirm uh, some of the good gifts that were given to me during that time were one in my husband, um, allowed me to feel everything I needed to feel, never tried to fix me and allowed me to not feel alone. I also had a girlfriend who said, Leslie, I want you to focus on today. I want you to take it a day at a time. And when, if that baby comes out and you still feel nothing, I will be right here with you and we'll, we'll figure out the the right next step together. I was so tired of everyone telling me it's going to be okay, but they just saw me and they gave me permission to feel everything that I needed to feel. And you know what? When I didn't even have that resilience, Liz, God had it for me. God had it for me. So while um, I would love to say that, yes, every day has been a walk in the park, of course not. (laughs) We live in the already not yet. And there are many challenges of having a child with exceptions. Um, and, And immediately my world changed from working full time to being a mom of there are in addition to the intellectual and cognitive um, delays and impairments with down syndrome there are many physiological uh, conditions and risk factors so having a baby that 
It has a higher risk for heart, GI, eyes, ears, all of those abnormalities come with that one extra chromosome. So that very first year was specialist after specialist after specialist. And even me thinking, Lord, I couldn't have done this with the job I had. And so, Lord, you even paved the way for me to resign, even from a place of brokenness that I was shaking my fist saying, this isn't right. You paved the way for me to even provide me the time and the space to be able to care for my little boy. Um, we started uh, OTPT speech at four weeks old. Yes, they even do speech with a four four week Amazing. old baby. Yes, oh, feeding therapy, um, all of the things, and you know, journey Cohen's development. Um, is on Cohen's time. And I feel no stress or no um, pressure about that. But I think, Liz, what what has been so meaningful to me is that, you know, I was a kind person and I understood theologically hospitality, but really embracing what it means to love people of all abilities and to not only share life um, to or minister to, but with, that we are co-laborers in this journey. And I could theologically say, yes, everyone has value. I guess I could learn something from someone. I still had a a, um, hierarchical way of thinking of power and privilege. So knowing that my son has an extra chromosome, but he has just as much value in the kingdom of God as anyone else. And quite honestly, has the most pure understanding of unconditional love at almost three years old of anyone that I've ever met. So I am very passionate about advocating for those with exceptions, uh, issues of inclusion, of using the right language, which I am continually a student of. And Liz, I wasn't the type of person that was naturally drawn to this community. And now these are my people. These are just my people. And we worship at a church that welcomes people of all abilities, where there is shouting in worship. There are people getting up, walking around. There are um, feeding tubes. And it is the most glorious display of God's kingdom where we love and co-labor together. That is so beautiful. That is, talk about lavish hope, right? I mean, that (laughs) is the embodiment of it. That's so beautiful, Leslie. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. So is there a project that you're working on or any kind of um, activities that you're engaged in that um, you'd like to share as part of your story here today with us? Sure. So I have a morning show uh, here in West Michigan, just a local Christian radio station. And I recently was, um, it's so God, but was approached by a sponsor to bring some funding to our show. And it's a local nonprofit. It's called Down to Defend. And it's a nonprofit that provides educational resources for those with intellectual disabilities for safety resources. Because as I'm in this journey, right, I'm the number one learner. I learned that those with intellectual impairment are seven times more likely to be victims of abuse. And so this nonprofit provides um, 
they do self-defense, they do CPR training, they do swim lessons, they do all sorts of equipping for families with uh, those uh, who love individuals with exceptions to help them live independent, successful lives. So as part of my show, I now get to promote and partner with this nonprofit. And it's a mutual blessing because they are building into the ministry of Joy Worship. This is incredible. Isn't that awesome? Only God. God. That is such a God story. Oh my goodness. I love it. And it's called Down to Defend. Yes, ma'am. And it's a it's a local organization. But it just occurs to me, I mean, if if you're not like have a reason to be connected with it, you wouldn't know that this type of resourcing exists, this type of equipping um, organization exists. So how, um, and it's, it's local there in West Michigan. It is. It is. Yes. That's great. Wonderful. Well, um, do you know the, uh, the website off the top of your head? (laughs) I'm sure folks would like to go check it out. We would love some supporters. And even if this is those that hear this around the nation and world, that if this is something that perhaps God is leading you to start, um, the director, her name is Alicia. She's a good friend. Her youngest son lives with Down syndrome and is one of Cohen's buddies. And it is downtodefend.com. Downtodefend.com. Beautiful. Well, and then if people want to listen in to, to your show, that's local in West Michigan. It is, but we have an app. You just need to search in the App Store on uh, in the Apple Store or Google Play. Download the Joy Media mobile app. It's a free download. We have two radio stations. One is Contemporary Christian, and that is a little more um, upbeat. We've got hip-hop and rock and some rap, and then there's Joy Worship, which is all worship music all the time. And so I I do some fill-in work for the contemporary Christian, but I'm on joy worship every morning. And so the goal of that station is connecting you with Jesus for your growth and God's glory. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Leslie, for being with us today and for sharing so much of your journey. I know that folks are going to leave this episode feeling so inspired, but also having some real practical understanding as well as tips and tools for it for dealing with these different things that you shared with us today in their own lives, not just for themselves, but for people around them. I think you've really shared a huge gift with our with our audience today. So thank you so much. God bless you and all you're engaged in and your beautiful family. Thank you, Liz. God bless you too. Thanks so much for listening. I hope this episode has offered insights and sparked ideas for what lavish hope, resilience, and overcoming mean for your own life and calling, as well as those around you. If you feel you need support regarding any of the matters discussed today, please reach out to your counselor, therapist, or pastor. If you'd like to connect with Reverend Leslie, her email address is lesliecarpenterbolt at gmail.com. That's L-E-S-L-I-E-C-A-R-P-E-N-T-E-R. B-O-L-T at gmail.com. You can listen to her radio show every morning on Joy 99 in Holland, Michigan, or worldwide on Joy Worship Radio, accessible through the Joy Media mobile app. If you enjoyed this Lavish Hope podcast, please subscribe, leave a review, and reshare any place you're on social. You can also connect with me directly at ltesta at rca.org. 
This episode is brought to you by faithword.org, an online learning community where you'll find ideas for living out your faith, reflections on scripture and church, stories about how other Christians are following God's call, and resources to bring your own church or organization along for the ride. The Lavish Hope Podcast is produced by Anna Radcliffe with assistant production by Lorraine Parker. Sound design by Garrett Steyer and web support by Grace Reuter and Barb Ellis. Hosted by yours truly, Liz Testa. Until next time, may you find ways to cultivate lavish hope and build resilience each and every day. God bless you.